taken from uh, John chapter 9, and you can find that on page 1075 on your pew Bibles. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> John chapter 9. As he went along and saw a, blind, a man blind from birth, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground and made some mud with the saliva. And he put this on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit in the, and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How, when you were, your eyes, how then were your eyes opened, he asked, they asked him. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put on my eyes. He told me to go and wash in Siloam, so I went and washed. And then I could see. Where is this man now? They asked him. I don't know, he said. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Father, we read your word, and your word speaks into our lives as we open our lives to your word. And Father, you are true to your promises, and we, we claim those promises now, that your word would reveal your truth, your light, your healing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you were here last week, uh, you would have heard Esther opening up our series on pastoral care here at Christchurch, and uh, we were thinking, considering uh, that Jesus is our good shepherd, he is the one who brings us ultimate comfort, ultimate peace, provision, and protection in our lives as we deepen in our relationship with him. So uh, week one was about how God loves us and cares for us as a as a good shepherd does, and this week and the next uh couple of weeks till the end of the month, we're going to be thinking about how we can offer pastoral care to each other in the body of Christ. Now, I want to be honest with you, uh, only a couple of weeks ago, uh, if you were here again, you'd have uh, heard Debbie's amazing sermon on Ruth chapter 4. 
And uh, Debbie helped us to consider in a very deep and powerful way how God makes the bitter things sweet in our lives. And how we, how we can cooperate with God. How we can cooperate with his plans through our openness and our brokenness. So I don't feel it's right to preach another sermon on the mystery of suffering, and yet the title I've got is, What About Suffering? So uh, maybe you can see the predicament I'm in. Uh, that's the predicament that sometimes preachers are in. Now, for those of you who are in a home group, and those of you who are not in a home group, so in other words, that's everyone, um, uh, I hope you are grappling with the questions that have been got ready for this few weeks. Uh, they are available for you either through email uh, or on paper, so please do grab one of those if you need to as you go. Uh, but as you look at the questions for this week, you'll, you'll probably realize that the questions set and the, and the passage, or the, at least the preach I'm about to give, don't necessarily link up directly. Uh, there are links uh, through this chapter in John, uh, but not directly. So you'll have to do a little bit of work in your home groups to sort of dig out uh, some of the, the topics that you're going to be thinking about. But what I do want to open up today, of course, is God's Word, and we're going to look at this chapter in John, John chapter 9, and we're going to hear and see what God is saying to us through this reading. Now, it might be about suffering, and of course there are things about suffering in this reading, uh, but God might open up to us other things uh, that he wants to speak into our lives about. So can I encourage you to have the Bible open before you, uh, John chapter 9, and, uh, and look at the text with me as, as I preach. So, what about suffering? It's a question, isn't it, that, that has been with humanity as long as humanity has been around. Uh, it is, to some degree, the question that is posed by the disciples at the start of our reading. Uh, and and the, the picture is that uh, Jesus and his disciples are, are, are walking along, and Jesus notices this man who has been, who has been blind since birth. And so the disciples ask him a question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, they're asking the question, why is this man suffering? Or why is there suffering? And what's interesting to notice is that Jesus doesn't directly answer them by what he says. He, he says this, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this has happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's not a yes-no answer, is it? It's not a clear-cut answer. But John, who's put his gospel together, he's chosen to put this story into his gospel, into the life of Jesus, this story of the man who's been blind since birth. And, and then when you compare this uh, this story, this account of this healing with other stories of healings of other afflicted people or blind people, there are uh, some interesting differences. So uh, one of them is that blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 7, uh, he approaches Jesus. He is the one who seeks healing from Jesus. Uh, and uh, there are other uh, stories where uh, there are people approach Jesus and ask for him to heal them. But this is different. This man is is there almost unnoticed. He's quietly there, but Jesus notices him uh, as they're walking along. 
And so the disciples ask that question, and what they're doing, you see, is reverting to the common explanation at the time as to why people suffer. And that explanation is original sin. And so the disciples want to know, since this man was blind since birth, was that due to his parents' sin or his sin? Original sin. And so Jesus' answer is basically neither. He says this happened so that God's mighty works might be displayed in him. Now let's just pause for a moment and let me just make a statement right now to say that God does not cause suffering and harm so that he can subsequently ride in heroically and save the day. I don't think that's the case. Indeed, this man has been suffering for his whole life. Not because of his own sin, not because of his parents' sin, not even because someone has made him blind. No. But Jesus doesn't answer the question. He doesn't give an, a, a clear answer to the cause of why this man is suffering. But Jesus heals him. He heals the blind man so that, as Jesus says, so that they and us subsequently down the ages can see that God does not leave us alone in our suffering. God is with us. He is with us in our suffering. And he works to bring good even in the midst of the difficult stuff. So what I, want to do, what I want to do today is to, as I said, think about, see what emerges from this passage in this healing of the man who's been blind since birth and his healing. And we'll see that just as we saw a couple of weeks ago with Naomi and with Ruth, that it is God who chooses the lowly. He chooses the ignored. He chooses the forgotten. He, cho- he chooses what seems to, who seems to be the ordinary to reveal his extraordinary goodness and his extraordinary love and his extraordinary grace in our lives. Verse 6. The first thing to notice is the, as William Barclay, one of the great commentators on the New, on the New Testament said, the rather odd method of the miracle. So, verse 6. Having said this, He spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now, there's other miracles that uh, Jesus uses spit to heal. We've got the miracle of the the man who is deaf and mute in Mark chapter 7, uh, the uh, the miracle of the healing of the blind man in Bethsaida in Mark chapter 8. Both use spit on those occasions. Jesus uses spit. Clearly, Jesus uses all sorts of methods to heal. But to us, I, I don't know if you've ever used spit when you've prayed for somebody. I certainly don't suggest the prayer ministry people use spit when they are, are praying for someone. Um, but it's, in the ancient world, it seems to be a, a fairly ordinary, normal thing to do. In fact, the more distinguished the person, the more their spit was revered. And one example of this is a man called, I don't know if you pronounce it Pliny or Pliny, I think it's Pliny. Uh, he was a, a Roman uh, a statesman, I think, and he collected scientific information in the Roman times. And in his works, he's got a whole chapter on the use of spittle in the, in the curing of such ailments as, get it, leprous spots, epilepsy, and this is the really interesting one, the loss of sight. And so you see, what Jesus is doing isn't so repulsive to his, his age. It's not so strange to that day. 
And he's using the custom, the method of his time, in order to bring about the healing of this man. He's gaining his confidence. Jesus is, in a sense, gaining the confidence of his patience by doing what the blind man would have been used to seeing. Well, he wouldn't have been seeing it, but he heard about it. So he moistens this clay, and and he uses this bit to moisten that clay, and then Jesus puts it on his eyes and then says to the man, go and wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. And John is helping us out here a bit, and he even tells us what Siloam means. It's the word Siloam means sent. So this is Jesus, the, the one who is sent into the world, who is doing the works of God, not condemning the world, but saving the world, bringing about healing, enabling this man to see. And so we have this physical, amazing physical healing that happens. Now that's where the trouble starts. Because we've only read up to verse 12, and the whole chapter of John, chapter 9, is about the healing and the ramifications, the fallout of that healing. Because it's only when you read beyond that, and you read verse 14, that you find out it is when the healing has happened. And verse 14 reveals that this man has been healed on, drumroll, the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. And so Jesus, you see, has broken Hebraic law. In fact, the scribes have worked it out that Jesus, in fact, has broken three laws by doing what he's done. So we'll just have a look at those quickly. Uh, he's, first of all, he's made clay, which means he is guilty of working. Uh, and it's ridiculous, but it, it is what it, you know, that's what the law said. You are not allowed to make clay with spittle because that is regarded as work. And so on the Sabbath, anything that was the simplest of tasks was seen, was seen as work and forbidden. This is, look at, listen to this one. This is a, you're forbidden by law to do this. A, a man may not go out on the Sabbath with sandals shod with nails. Uh, you know, I, it's shocking, isn't it? I'll say it again. A man may not go out on the Sabbath with sandals shod with nails. Why? Because your, the nails are enough weight to constitute a burden. It's ridiculous, isn't it? You're not even allowed to cut your fingernails on the Sabbath. Because that's work. And so this is Jesus breaking the law by making clay. That's the first law he's broken. Secondly, he is forbidden to heal on the Sabbath. Now, you are allowed to give medical attention to someone who is in, in danger of dying, but you're not allowed to, you're allowed to keep them alive, but you're not allowed to get them better. Okay, that, that is the situation that Jesus is in and the, the law says. This, this is a, a, a Sabbath law. Listen to this. If a man's hand or foot is dislocated, he may not pour cold water on it. It's kind of, to us, it's really strange, isn't it? So he's made, he's made clay, he's guilty work, he's, he's healed on the Sabbath, he's broken the law. Thirdly, he's broken a very detailed law that says this, as to fasting spittle, it is not lawful to put it so much as upon the eyelids. So he's done that as well. And so he's not allowed to anoint the man's eyes, such is the detail of the law he's broken. 
So what we've got here is we've got this group of Pharisees who built their lives on this edifice of regulations and laws. This is right, this is wrong. This is acceptable, this is not acceptable. That's what they're doing. They, they, they are wanting to honor God, but they're doing it in the wrong way. They're doing it and they're becoming brittle, they're becoming lacking in grace. And for Jesus, the law is there to show the grace of God, to remind us about how great and graceful God is. But to them, it becomes his burden, and they lay that burden on people's shoulders so that he's not allowed to heal on the Sabbath. And so what they, what they see is the law, they don't see the healing. Now, I think we could apply that to ourselves, couldn't we? And ask ourselves, maybe, maybe we're like that sometimes. Maybe we miss the blessings of God because we're more concentrated on what God should be doing or, you know, is that the right thing? And we miss the blessings of God because we think our needs should have been met in the way that God hasn't met them. In fact, he's blessed us in a way we can't really see. Because we're focused on what he should have done, what we think he should have done. And so we miss the work of grace, the grace of God, maybe at work in our lives or the lives of others, because, well, maybe we're irritated by what God is doing. Or they just irritate us. Maybe there's a, a reflection of that going on in our lives uh, as to what the Pharisees uh, were going through at, the same, at that time. Back to the story. Uh, what they do is they, they, they then haul a man before the council and they ask him questions. And they, and they ask him, what, who is this? Who, who's healed you? Who has done this? And the man, he, he, he defends himself by saying, well, it's Jesus. He has, he has healed him. And it's something that's true of this man. He is a brave man. Because imagine you're, you're facing this really intimidating group of people. And he stands up there and he says, well, it's Jesus has healed me. And he says, in effect, I'm bound to believe in him. I'm bound to take my stand in him and by him because of all he has done for me. And again, we need to ask ourselves that question. What about when we're in a situation where we're kind of faced with that People are asking us about Jesus. And maybe, you know, maybe the temptation is to sort of move back a bit and say, well, I don't really know. I don't really know if it's God or if it's Jesus. I'm not really sure I believe in him. Or are we brave and say, yes, I, yes, it is Jesus who's changing my life. Yes, it is God who's transforming me. Jesus has taken a stand for you. He's taken a stand for me. He's died for us. So we need to take a stand for him. So, with the background there, let's look at the process that he goes through in his healing. Because really what this, is, what this chapter is about is a, is a universal truth. And it's this. All people suffer from spiritual blindness. All people suffer from spiritual blindness. And we all need the presence of Christ to gain true sight. We need the presence of Christ to gain true sight. And as we see this, as we look at this chapter just briefly together, we'll see that the man goes through the process by which he gains true sight. Firstly, and there's three stages to this, firstly, he calls Jesus a man. Look at verse, towards the end of verse 9. 
Sorry, verse 11 is actually, verse 11. He replies, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. The man they call Jesus. He starts off by thinking of Jesus as a man. And, and I think most, you know, obviously most people, when they think about Jesus, yes, he's, 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 a, he's a great man. He, he stands out amongst men. You know, people have heard of Jesus and his healings and his, his preaching. And, and they might well say, well, yes, he's a great man. But let's consider again that, that, that Jesus is a magnificent man. In any, in any anthology of heroes, Jesus is a great man. Shakespeare wrote this. His life was gentle and the elements so mixed in him that nature might stand up and say to all the world, this was a man. So whatever else is in doubt, Jesus is a great man. But this man moves on a stage from there. Because he then acknowledges that Jesus is not just a man, he's a prophet. Verse 17, the man replied, he is a prophet. Now for Jews, a prophet is important. You know, think of all the uh, great prophets in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on. The, a prophet holds huge significance for Jewish people because they are people who hear from God, who pass on messages from God, who in fact have been in almost in the councils of God. And so this man is saying he is a prophet. Not only is he a man, but he's a prophet. He's heard from God. Someone once wrote this, If ever any man had the right to be called prophet, who spoke to men with the voice of God, Jesus had. So he's a man, he's a prophet, but he doesn't stop there. Because he comes to the point, this blind man comes to the point when he acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God. Because if you scan down to verse 38, you'll see that. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. He came to see that Jesus isn't just a man. He's not just a prophet. In fact, he is Lord. He is God. He came to see that Jesus doesn't just say great things. He doesn't just do great things. He is God himself. God made flesh. Now, we've all heard of, we've all heard of Napoleon, haven't we? Napoleon Bonaparte, and, and he was in the company of people who were skeptical about Jesus and, and dismissing him as a great man and nothing more. And this is what Napoleon said back to them. He said these words, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions and millions of people would die for him. Finally, let's look at the last section of this chapter because there's two great truths to grasp from that section. Firstly, notice... Jesus goes to search out the man. He searches out the man who he has healed. And this is a, a great truth, that Jesus never leaves anyone to bear his name alone. When we are called to be brave for Jesus, he doesn't leave us alone to do that. 
He will never leave us alone to be brave for him. He will be with us. He, as, as Libby prayed, as Debbie prayed, he will never leave us or forsake us. And this is the case for this, this man as well. He's been turned out of the synagogue. He's been turned away by the Jewish leaders, and yet Jesus goes to find him, to search him out. You may never have heard of him, but one of the church fathers, John Chrysostom, put it like this. The Jews cast him out of the temple. The Lord of the temple found him. And it's true, I think, that as we witness for Christ, as we share Christ, we may be alienated from our friends. But that will draw us closer to Christ. William Barclay wrote this. When a man is cast out from men because of his faithfulness to Christ, it brings him closer to Christ than ever he was before. Jesus is always true to the person who is true to him. And this brings me to the second truth in this bit of chapter 9. Because to this man was revealed a great truth that Jesus is the Son of God. And the truth is this, that loyalty brings revelation. Loyalty brings revelation. God reveals himself more fully to those who are desperate to know him. He will give their all to follow him, to love him, and to worship him. And we know from our own experience and from what the Bible says that there may well be greater suffering for those who desire to live lives that honor the name of Jesus. But the reward of loyalty is a closer walk with God and an increasing appreciation of his grace and majesty in our lives. And so it's back to the openness and brokenness that we heard about from Debbie a couple of weeks ago. As we allow God to work in our lives, he is allowed to transform us that little bit more like Jesus. But it's also about us saying we can't do life on our own, that we are broken and messed up people who need a saviour. So what about suffering? This question that's kind of around and about us this week. Well, I think as I've struggled with this reading, I've struggled with that question. I think part of the answer to that question is revealed in this passage as we read about this man who was the unnoticed one, the shunned one, the broken one, and yet open to Jesus and his grace working in his life. And that brings about his ultimate salvation as he says, Lord, I believe. And what about you and what about me? Is our love for Jesus growing or is it diminishing? Are you like the man in the story who, whose faith begins small but gets to the point when he says, Lord, I believe, and he falls down and he worships, worships Jesus at his feet? Or are you like the Pharisees? Whose way of life makes obeying, whose way of, whose, whose way of life makes faith a matter of obeying, obeying rules and regulations, and whose love of God is a distant memory. I pray that we'll be like the man born blind, whose eyes are open to a life of faith, and you can say with all his heart, I was blind, but now I see. Amen. And amen. Amen.